Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. There is an old urban legend that tells about a wealthy European family that had gathered a bunch of friends and guests for the christening, the baptism of their infant son. And in that process, people came to this gigantic mansion for this great celebration, and they came dressed to the nine. They were decked out. There was a person there that was receiving coats and then laying them on one of the beds that was just adjacent to the entry area. And furs were piling up, coats were piling up, winter scarves were piling up, and everyone was gathered together for this great celebration for the baptism of this, this child. And then the moment came. The moment came for the child's baptism to take place and they looked all around the house for the baby, couldn't find him and they began to get concerned and then the nanny ran upstairs to where the child's nursery was and couldn't find the child there, came back with a look of disappointment and a look of shock and they began to search the house frantically all over and the child, one of them had said, I think I remember seeing the baby asleep on one of the beds in the house. And under the pile of clothing and the scarves and under the pile of fur coats was that child who was terrified and afraid and nearly smothered to death. Totally forgotten by those whom were to celebrate the little infant whom they covered up. You know, as we get so bogged down in Christmas, the year can seem like a blur, and then you get into the winter burr, and all of a sudden, you're going, where did the year go? And everything upon us seems to be quick and fast, and we've got to get the packages just done right, and we've got to get the presents bought for those that are in our life, and, and it's got to be the right gift, and so we've got this hustle, and we've got this running around, and we've got to get everything in order, and there are some times when we have just forgotten, just simply forgotten why it is that we're celebrating, and we cover up. We cover up this child who's in the manger, who screams for our attention through the clutter of what we sometimes make out to be called Christmas. There were some historians that had come together and they had looked into some events in history to see what life would be like if things didn't happen. 
For instance, one of their what ifs is, what if Lee defeated uh, the Union forces at Gettysburg? What would the nation look like? What would, what would the nation look like if Booth's bullet missed his intended target, Lincoln, and Lincoln were to have survived that assassination? What would things look like if Napoleon was never uh, defeated and came to America? What would that look like? And they have this full book about what if. What would, what would it look like if history were changed a little bit? Our text today kind of invokes that same kind of question. What would it be like if Jesus Christ were never had been born to us? First off, there would be no God with us. You see, the prophet Isaiah says that he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. Now let's look into that for a little bit, because that would mean that we wouldn't know the face of God. We wouldn't know that God had ears and a mouth. We wouldn't know or understand God in his presence. But Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Again, Jesus reclarifies who he is, and he says, I and the Father are one. So we understand that what Jesus was getting at was that he is God in the flesh that he is fully man and he's fully God. It's like God just put on the sackcloth of humanity. But you know what? We wouldn't have that very first Christmas if Jesus wouldn't have been born to us. We wouldn't know what God was like. We wouldn't know that he desired to have a relationship with us. We wouldn't know that we could relate to him. You know, there are some names that are given to Jesus, some titles that are given to Jesus. There's a lot of them, but there's three that are prominent within the scriptures. One of the titles is Son of David. You heard that told of Jesus before? That is a reference to his racial heritage. That puts him in a lineage of Judaism, that he has the bloodline of a Jew. It puts him in attachment to King David, who you find in the Old Testament thousands of years before Jesus was born. And it shows us who he is. He is a son of David. That a long time ago, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was King David. And so when you hear that term, it speaks to who he is as a background, racially. There's another term that is applied to Jesus, and that is the Son of God. Now, we've heard that term before. Even the demons recognize Jesus with this term for him. The demons shouted out, Son of God, what do you want with us? They recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. A lot of us have made Jesus into what we want him to be, though. He refers to himself time and time again as the son of man, but a lot of us have taken Jesus and we've made him into what we wanted. We've kind of reconstructed Jesus into our form, into the fashion that we want him to be in. Some of you have turned Jesus into Republican Jesus because you're a Republican. And now Jesus is for gun rights and Jesus is for a decrease of taxes and Jesus is for family values. Some of you turned him into Democrat Jesus because you, you're persuaded for the Democrat ticket and you look at Jesus and you say, no, Jesus wouldn't want people to have that much wealth. He'd want that kind of spread around. Jesus obviously had a concern for the poor. So Jesus would take in those that are poor and those that are hurting and he'd want justice. Some of you look at Jesus and you say, Jesus is just like a shrink. He's therapeutic. He helps me with my past. He gets me through my day. And thank goodness for Jesus. And if it wasn't for him being able to confess to him constantly and to give of myself to him constantly, I don't know what I'd do in life. Some of you see Jesus as kind of like the Starbucks Jesus. He wants you to have good conversation. He wants you to be able to tap into who you are spiritually. And when the conversation's over, you can go and hop in your hybrid because that's what Jesus would want you to do. 
Some of you see Jesus as the open-minded Jesus. That Jesus is into all these things. You want to go follow Buddha? Go follow Buddha. That's good stuff. You want to figure out the ways of Confucius? Go find the ways of Confucius. You want to sprinkle in a little bit of Islam in there? Sprinkle in a little bit of Islam. That's okay. You can just mix and match and just have this open mind like Jesus would have had this open mind. Some of you see him as touchdown Jesus. Not the one that's at Notre Dame field, but the one that they pray to to say, Jesus, help me to run faster. Jesus, help me to score more touchdowns than my opponent. Jesus, help me to win the Super Bowl this year. Then there's martyr Jesus. That's the one you look to of Christ on the crucifix, and your heart just kind of hurts for him, the cruel death, and there's emotions of feeling sorry for what's been done to him. There's the gentle Jesus that he's meek and he's mild. He's has high cheekbones, he always wears white with a blue sash, and he looks Anglican. There's hippie Jesus. I think he's the one that says, hey, let's just all just settle down and just live peaceably amongst each other. Why can't we all just get along free and easy? Maybe some of you had changed Jesus into a yuppie style of Jesus, that the more you pay into the offering plate, the more he's going to give back to you so that you can go get that boat. Because that's what Jesus would want for you, a bigger boat. Maybe you've turned him into this like platitude Jesus where everything's about feeling good. And if the sermon, if the sermon is not about a feel-good thing, then Jesus must not have been preached. And so for you, you've kind of converted your Jesus into this. He makes me feel good. Some of you have converted Jesus over to like a boyfriend Jesus. Every time you meet with him and encounter him on Sunday mornings, you just want to give him a big hug. And the songs that we sing are just so refreshing to you because it feels like you're just the focus of his love. But some of us mischaracterize Jesus by saying he's just a good example. He's just there to teach us what is right and what is wrong and how we can be better in our planet and be better towards one another. But that's not what Jesus communicated to us at all. While maybe some of those things may be true, he can't be boxed up. He says, I'm son of David, but I'm the son of God. And do you remember when he asked the question to his disciples, those that were closest to him, who is it that they say I am? And then he looked at him and said, who is it that you say that I am? How did Peter confidently respond? You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Friends, as many ways as we like to manipulate Jesus and make him into whom we want him to be, God says, no, you will not put me into a mold. I cannot be confined. I might have a racial heritage of a Jew, son of David, but I am the son of God most high and I cannot be manipulated or mastered. I am the one who's come to save you. Friends, if, if Jesus were never have been born, there would never be a son of God. Here's the term that he referred to himself the most, so that is son of man. He used this time and time again, and the Son of Man is to express his humanity. Son of, Son of God is there to express his divinity, that he is God in the flesh. Son of Man is here as to say, I'm, I'm one like you. Remember that I wore the flesh. I've been tempted in every way. And Jesus would refer to himself in these regards. In Luke chapter 19, he'd say, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. He said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man 
will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying, so will the human flesh be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, referring to his, his burial, but also referring to his bodily resurrection. He says that we're able to identify with him, and he's able to identify with us. He says this, foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You see, Jesus understood what it meant to be thirsty. He knew the dryness that we have in our throats and how we long to have something to drink. He understood the rumblings and the the upsetness that our stomach can have when we're hungry. Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. Remember, Jesus was put in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted. Some of you think, no, 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 we shouldn't be tempted. But the temptation is not a sin. It's giving in to temptation that becomes the sin for us. C.S. Lewis had a good perspective on temptation. He says that when, when good people go through temptation, it's a bigger struggle than when bad people go through a temptation. Bad people give in to their temptations, and they don't even consider standing up against it. But C.S. Lewis says good people, good people stand up against it, and they see temptation as a wind in their face. And they are unwilling to give in to it. And the difference between Jesus and us is that Jesus, the Bible says, was tempted in every way. All that Satan could throw or muster together was thrown in his direction for him to sin. And Jesus never gave in to it. Tempted, but did not sin. He was perfect. And at all points, the walk that you've walked, Jesus has walked it too. From adolescence up until his death, Jesus walked this life, and so he refers to himself 81 times. Son of man. I'm God in human form. Friends, if if Christ were never born, we would never have son of David. We would never have the son of God. We would never have the son of man. We wouldn't be able to know that God dearly loves us and became like us so that we could be rescued from our sins. If Jesus were never born, we would would never have victory. We would always live life in defeat. I mean, here's a pretty interesting fact. If you go to Luke chapter 2 and you see the Christmas story there, which is probably the most in-depth part of the Christmas story, you'll see that there are shepherds in the fields that are keeping watch over the sheep. Now, it is just presumed. It's not factual, but it's presumed by many scholars that those shepherds that were keeping watch over the flocks that night were keeping watch over sheep that were being prepared, being raised to be taken to Jerusalem so that they could be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That if that presumption is correct, that the Lamb of God was being born in a stable in Bethlehem while the shepherds were preparing lambs to be taken to the slaughter for sacrifice. What's interesting about that is, that baby that was born in that manger was born for a purpose in life And that purpose in life was to die the same death that those lambs in that field were raised and fed and lived for. That our sins could be cleansed by blood. 
You see, if Jesus had not come, there would be no salvation from our sin. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That the reason the Son of God appeared was just to destroy the devil's work. Now, there's a couple interesting words that are found in 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 8. One of those words is to destroy. That word destroy is a powerful word. That means to dissolve, to obliterate. That means it no longer is there. And that word for devil is actually the word diablo, which is meaning the shatterer. Did you know that the word devil means shatterer? He shatters your dreams. He shatters your hopes. He shatters your family. He shatters your soul. He shatters this world. Do you catch what's going on here? That since God arrived in the form of Jesus... He came to break the one who is destined or wants to shatter your life. Almost as if God were saying, hey, here's a taste of your own medicine, Satan. You came to shatter people's people's life. I'm now going to shatter the work that you're doing in this world. And you're saying, well, what's the work of the devil? History has said that the work of the devil comes in three ways. It comes mentally. That Satan wants to work in your mind and he wants to take it over so that your mind is polluted, so that you begin to have thoughts of why do I exist? What's the point of living? He comes over to take over your mind mentally. He also comes to take over your motivations so that you say, I don't really have much to live for. I don't have much to do. My life is insignificant in this world. And then he comes over to take over your morality. To say morality is just something that you perceive. It's all about culture. One person might have a different sense of morality than you. See, there is no truth. Satan would love for us to believe that. That there is no absolutes. There is no right or wrong. You just do whatever feels good to you. And you make up your own morality. And Jesus comes on the scene And he brings victory to the situation by saying, no, I'm going to destroy the devil's work. I'm going to shatter that ideology and that kind of thinking. I'm not going to let people be caught up in believing that there is no hope in their life. I'm not going to let people live life being unmotivated. Your life has purpose and it has meaning. Jesus came to shatter the idea that there is no morality. There is morality and Jesus set the high standard of what it looks like to be a child of God. Second part of that. If Jesus hadn't come, we'd be destroyed. And Satan would win. And Satan would keep us for all of eternity. The Bible says that Jesus was raised from the dead. That means that he was put to death. But you know, not everybody believes that. Not everybody believes that Jesus really did die. Some believe that it was a hoax by the disciples. Some believe that his was just in a, an unconscious state and he was what they would call swooning on the cross. And that, that stuff that the Romans gave to him, that water mixed with myrrh, was kind of, a, kind of a, uh, a drug that was able to bring him to an unconscious level so that when he was taken off the cross, he was put into the grave alive. And so there was no bodily death. But if that were the case and Jesus really didn't die, And friends, we have no hope, and Jesus was just a fraud. You see, the Bible says it pretty clearly about who we are. It says, for all have sinned, and we all fall short of God's glory. 
So here's what it says about who we are. It says we're all sinners. We're all sinners, and we have not hit the intended target that God had marked out for us. Another place in Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. It's a good thing there's a comma there, because it says, but the gift, the gift, the gift of Jesus Christ is life. But can you imagine if Christ were never born? The wages of sin would be death. Satan would have his way with us. We would be condemned to an eternal destiny in hell. And if Jesus weren't born, we'd all be destroyed by the sin that plagues this world. There would be no victory. If Jesus would not have come, we would not be able to experience eternal life with God. Some of you have um, lost loved ones this year. And so this time of the season becomes pretty difficult. Because as family gets together, you're you're thinking, man, mom would have loved this. Oh, my brother would have loved to have been here. You know, it's times like this where my wife and I think about our parents that had passed away, and we say things like, well, mom would have loved this, dad would have loved this. But you know what? We'll never receive a hug from those parents again. My dad's body is in a cemetery in St. Charles, Missouri. And those eyes I once looked into, I'll never be able to look into those eyes again until heaven. That hug that I used to receive from him, I'll never be able to be hugged or embraced that same way again until I get to heaven. That cheeriness that he brought to the room, I'll never probably have that same kind of cheeriness brought to my life until I see him again in heaven. But if Jesus were never born, We never have those guarantees. We never have those kinds of hopes. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Why? How could John the Revelator write that? Because Jesus was born and died and rose again. We have hope because God became one of us. If Jesus had not not come, evil would win in our world. This place would be a mess. You think it's bad now? God's just holding it back with you as the salt and the light of this world. But he did come. And that's the good news of Christmas, isn't it? Jesus Christ did come. I don't know why you're here today. I don't know why some of you have come to Christ. Some of you might have come to Christ because you truly saw that you had sin in your life and you recognized that there was no way to solve your sin problem but through the sacrifice of Jesus. Some of you came to Christ because you were so down in life that you had no other place to to look but to look up to Christ. Some of you came crawling in here today because you have a heavy burden from maybe a past guilt or sin in your life or you're looking for a way out some kind of escape from the trouble or the mess that you're in currently and you're looking for a savior you're looking for a rescuer you're looking for someone to come in and make this torment and put it back into place and make it right you're looking for someone to come in and to to rebuild what's been shattered by satan I don't know why it is that you have made steps to come to Jesus Christ. But one thing I do know is this. If he would not have come, you would have never been able to come to him. 
God would have been aloof. He would have been the one that we would have said, well, someone put this world together, but we're not sure who. God would not be a part of our world today. Galatians chapter 4, 1 verse 4 says, Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God, our Father, planned. Do you catch that? Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God had planned. You see, Jesus wasn't plan B. He was part of the plan all along. In order to rescue us from the evil, from the evil world in which we live. Now, let me close with this. If Christ would not have come, there would be no Christmas. I think that's simple to say, right? There'd be no hope. There'd be no bells ringing. There'd be no churches open. There'd be no Christmas music. There'd be no time of celebration with family. There'd be none of this. Stop all of that because it wouldn't exist. But in Luke chapter 2, it says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, Christ. He is the Lord. Jesus has been born. That's cause for celebration. I heard this story about a woman that was just packed down with gifts, just trying to keep her kids that were just beyond silliness in the mall and just trying to get out of the mall because of the headache of her Christmas shopping. And it just turned into a nightmare for her. And she's loaded down and she's just trying to keep everything together, just trying to keep in her right mind before she loses it. She gets into an elevator and it's packed full with people. And the elevator's like a can of sardines. And she, she, she just whimsically says in the midst of the silence, I wish, I wish whoever thought of this holiday, they'd just kill him. And one lone voice said, they crucified him. Have you thought about this? That if we lose sight of what this season is all about, and we, we just stop recognizing the child, then maybe we stop recognizing the Son of God. We stop recognizing the Savior. Maybe this Christmas for you is not about the busyness or the baking of cookies or the family traditions that seem to get in the way. It's about coming back to the simplicity of recognizing that that child in the manger is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We close your eyes or maybe just bow your head just to remove any distractions. I want to read to you Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 and 7. It tells us, But when the time was right, God sent His Son. When the time was right, God sent His Son, and a woman gave birth to Him. The Son obeyed the law, so He could set us free from the law, and we could become God's children. Now that we're His children, God had sent His, His Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And His Spirit tells us that God is our Father. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are God's children. And you will be given what, what God has promised. If you keep your eyes closed or your head bowed,
Think about these questions. Does your life have hope today? Because Jesus was born. Does your life have meaning today? Because Jesus was born. Have you accepted God's Son, Jesus, who was born to us for the salvation over your sins? If you're answering that question by saying, no, I haven't yet, I'm going to ask you to meet with me just right by the baptistry in a moment. The lights will be down, the singers will be singing, people will be standing. It's, a, it's an easy way for you just to step out of the chairs. People are kind and friendly. They'll let you through. And make your way over to see me and recognize Christ has been born. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And walk away here today with your sins forgiven, with a Savior who loves you, prepared to follow Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Will you stand with us as we sing together?